Anytime you wanna manage emotion or tone, which is completely stripped, when you type out an email and send it, even if you did an all caps line and added an emoticon and some exclamation points, you're still stripping away the real emotional cues in it, which come naturally off of us, uh, which is one of the great powers of video is that if you're truly sincere about the value and the opportunity that you represent in that moment to a customer, to an employee, to a supplier, to a vendor, to a partner, to a strategic alliance, if you're truly sincere, there's nothing better you can do than to send a video because you cannot fake A, the time and attention required to give someone that that information or that pat on the back or that kick in the butt or whatever you need to give them. Uh, and B, that you can't fake that sincerity. Thank you for listening. This is Rhett Trainer, the founder and your host of Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help first-time founders and early-stage entrepreneurs not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the founders who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Each episode will provide actionable strategies and tactics. The voice you heard a few moments ago is that of Ethan Butte. He's the chief evangelist at BombBomb, which is an innovative and high growth software company. He's also the host of the very popular The Customer Experience podcast and the co-author of Rehumanize Your Business. Ethan truly is an expert in customer experience and leveraging and how to leverage you know, simple video to better connect with not only your customers, but also your employees. This is really an interesting conversation that was heavily focused on what I would say is the often neglected or at least underappreciated power of, of human connection and human engagement in business. Ethan talks about his role as chief evangelist and why I believe every company should have a chief evangelist, no matter what size you are. You know, why video email is so powerful and why the adoption has been so slow even with the overwhelming evidence of its effectiveness. He also shares his recommended approach to get started. Before I take you to the intro, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you like, subscribe, and share to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform so we continue to help grow the podcast. Also, please make sure to check out the free resources page on brettrainer.com forward slash resources for downloads and to sign up for our new weekly newsletter. Now, onto the intro. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping early stage entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies and tactics. Here's your host, Brett Trainer. Cool. I'll go back. I'll do this as a history lesson because I've been at BombBomb now for eight and a half years full time and I was doing project work with the two co-founders for a couple of years before that. And so, you know, I was coming from, I had done a dozen years of work in local television, like your local NBC station or ABC or Fox station running marketing teams. So writing, producing and editing TV spots and cable spots and print ads and, you know, digital ads and social media, et cetera. And I was just kind of bored of the work. And so I started doing project work with a variety of different companies um, to find out like, you know, what do I actually love doing? What skills are transferable? What would people pay me for? And so, you know, I was just reaching into my personal network to do side projects. And I was doing work with, you know, four or five different teams and uh, with our two co-founders here at BombBomb, Connor McCluskey and Darren Dawson. And I just liked what they were doing. I liked what they were about. We were, you know, kind of came up on a lot of the same material, you know, like a lot of the same reading and philosophy and stuff. And this was kind of like web 2.0 era, you know, social was still kind of on the fast rise, just getting started. And so it turns out, of course, a lot of those skills were transferable. I was writing a lot. I was editing video. I was, you know, building multi- 
I guess we call it omni-channel now, omni-channel campaigns, a variety of different media, but the same kind of campaign, some kind of branding level stuff and some direct response stuff. And so I was doing that with the guys here at BombBomb. I was writing some of the original email campaigns and making some videos and writing some landing pages and stuff. And so I just knew at at some point when they can make me even a partly competitive offer that I would join them full time. And so, you know, I probably left, I don't know, 30% 30% of total comp on the table. But it, like that's never been my hardcore motivation right. uh, to join a very, very small company. So when I joined in fall of 2011, we maybe had two or 300 customers. I don't know what our ARR was at the time, but obviously it was not significant with you know a couple few hundred customers. And I think maybe sixth or seventh employee at the time. And, you know, here we are in 2020, we've got, you know, 48 or 49,000 customers spread all over the world, but primarily in the US, secondarily Canada, and then kind of a third layer would be UK and Australia, and then, you know, disparate. And our, you know, to answer the question directly, um, we're serving all kinds of people from solopreneur, entrepreneur types to, you know, sales teams, customer success teams, customer support teams, and really everything in between. So, you know, go to market is really, we can have that specific conversation too, um, although I won't get into the details of it now. I feel like finding a, finding a product market fit uh, early on was really helpful for us. And that's kind of how we got into this you know, small team, solopreneur, entrepreneur thing. So we were doing a lot of work with real estate agents, mortgage loan officers, financial advisors, coaches, consultants, insurance sales, some automotive sales, like a lot of these people. But but at the time, not really for teams, people that just saw this idea of um, what we do is we help people record and send videos in place of some of their typed out text. Our whole MO is that you are better in person, that who you are is a big deal, especially in some of these commoditized spaces, right? If I want a, if I want someone to help me buy or sell a home, or if I want, you know, a financial advisor or financial consultant, there are a variety of people. Like, you know, I'm in an office tower in downtown Colorado Springs. I could probably take something soft, like a tennis ball, throw it out the window and, and hit a, a real estate agent right? If I let it bounce a couple of times, it definitely increases my odds. And so, you know, what makes you different? Why do I want to work with you? And it's who you are, this idea of who you are, how you make me feel about you, trust, rapport, relationship, how you make me feel about myself and the opportunity. That is the key differentiator. That is the core to the customer experience in a lot of those roles. And so, and so video helps you deliver that in a way that, you know, these typed out emails just don't. Right? And so we can get into some of the nuances there, but this idea that you're better in person, we operate in these digital channels and trust, rapport, and relationships still matter a lot in a lot of businesses. Like I don't need a personal relationship with anyone at Amazon, for example. Right. I just need it to, to make it easy and make good recommendations and get me stuff on time at a reasonable price. But in so many of these roles, I would assume that so many of your listeners are still reliant on trust, rapport, and relationship to move opportunities forward, to produce repeat and referral business, to get those online reviews and testimonials, and all those other things. So mixing in some lightweight video, I'm talking about casual, unscripted videos in place of some of your typed out text. No scripts, no editing, no lights, no production, no green screens, no drones, just like you and your webcam to talk to someone 
kind of like a voicemail, but with all of you, all that rich nonverbal communication, your full presence in just a lightweight, easy way, just really humanizes all of it and, and helps people connect to us. And ultimately, it helps increase conversion. And so that's probably more than you were looking for that answer. And I'll kind of wind it down there because I'm sure there are a lot of uh, questions that can spur off that. But we serve a wide variety of people and help them get face-to-face with the people who matter most to their businesses. Now, that's awesome. And I, the thing I really like about that is typically, you know, I grew up almost three decades ago in, in a customer service world. And historically, people think customer experience, customer service, and it's, it's really across all the touch points. And that's what you guys are really advocating is not just, you know, your pre-sales outreach, but, you know, how do we, and we'll get to your book here in a little bit, you know, humanize relationships. And when you talked about the audience, and I think a lot of them are starting out, starting to grow businesses, it's even more important to establish that, you know, human to human and the personal connection as you're trying to grow the business, you may not be scaling it yet. So what gives yourself a better, better shot at, you know, how do I add more customers? And more importantly, how do I keep more customers, etc. So just, uh, just curious, before we, we transition, when we think about bomb, bomb, eight and a half years, you know, that's almost an eternity in the startup world. And I know you guys have seen some unbelievable growth. Has, has your, the product changed? I'm assuming it's changed, but was that the original concept in, in 2011 or 2009, I guess, when, <laughs> when they first started it? And, and how has that evolved to where we are today? Yeah, it's interesting at the time, of course, that it would, our first customers are absolute pioneers. Like no one was really doing this. There were a couple other like quasi competitors that were doing a, a version of what we were doing. But the tech at the time, at least the tech we had, we built it originally as essentially like a constant contact or a MailChimp, but with video front and center. So we still have that platform product where you can, you know, upload lists and drag and drop email editor you know, lead capture forms, drip automation sequences, auto responders to those forms and, you know, video email tracking. And so the, the idea was that video was integrated. It was just directly integrated into the experience. It was a lot faster than, you know, recording a video and uploading it to YouTube and, you know, screenshotting it and putting it in an email and linking it over to you, all that stuff. We just made that all a lot easier. And for a lot of the folks that we were serving, you know, they were still pretty light on their tech stack. And so for some of them, we were even functionally a CRM and through some of our integrations, you know, list syncing and some of that other stuff. And so a couple key things happened kind of early on. Uh, One of them was uh, the vast improvement in internet speeds in general. So this ability to live record videos at a a reasonable quality and for most or all of your recipients to be able to play them back, you know, without any lag because they had decent internet. So back in the day, internet quality was so poor that some people, some of our customers in, in the processors on the, on the, you know, laptops in the desktops at the time were, you know, made it a little bit more challenging to get decent quality videos live recorded in or uploaded in. So internet speeds. And then of course, webcams going HD and all of our phones, A, improving in, in uh, internet quality and then B, improving in their cameras. At this point, the cameras in some of these newer phones are better than the DSLR I have, you know, that I bought just a few years ago. And I always carry my phone around with me. I still have an iPhone 7. I haven't gone to like to the super mega deluxe stuff, but the ability to easily record videos has dramatically improved. Interestingly, you are seeing some people adopt video more often, you know, for uh, the LinkedIn feed 
or for their websites or for their YouTube channels or for their Facebook feed or for their Instagram feed and IGTV and some of that stuff. But this idea of using a simple personal video in an email, in a text message, in a LinkedIn message. So for example, I use our Google Chrome extension and record videos and drop that link straight into uh, LinkedIn Messenger. It populates the, the thumbnail. In email, we do an animated preview for you automatically. It doesn't do that in LinkedIn. But I found it as a great way to warm up those relationships or to answer questions. You know, There's so many benefits to it. And so um, I think what's changed for us are those two key factors um, but culturally, we're still very much, much slower. I thought all of this would go much faster than it, than it has. And I think, you know, the people who have, have forced their way into video, they're like, I just have to do it. And they jump into the deep end and they make it work. Other people are a little bit more naturally attuned to it. But in terms of this, this bigger wave, this bigger adoption, we're still on the very early side of it, which kind of shocks me as an observer and pa- practitioner. Like I've sent more than 10,000 videos myself. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's not that I'm just like super mega hardcore about it. It's just part of my workflow and I communicate with a lot of different people pretty often. And so, you know, over eight years, you get there, you know? Yeah. Um, but but it's, the, the takeoff there has been really slow. And I think the single biggest drag on the cultural shift toward more personal communication this way is just the human vulnerability. The comfort of just being yourself and wondering if it's okay. Is this okay? That like, is, is my video good enough? Am I good enough? Is my webcam good enough? And all that. And I'll just tell you the answer is yes to all those things. It just takes a little bit of practice. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's so true that it is. And again, I'm outside looking in. You had sent me an email to confirm our time for the, the podcast interview, and it was video. I think I watched that thing three times because it does cut through the noise. And not that it was novel. It was just that much more personal. It's not two sentences or click a button to get on my calendar. It was you, you know, with the personal touch. So, you know, again, I, we were chatting a little bit offline that, you know, in my evolution, I'm now on the verge and starting to test the, the video. You know, I've come with the, the written got the podcast now with the, the audio and the third is the uh, the video and I've seen the power of it and I think you just touched on not really a fear but you know is my lighting going to be good enough and the phone is enough you're right those types of things and you know like with the the writing and the the podcast it was the hardest time was just hitting record the first time or hit send the first time so he said I've, I've I've read your book and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And it's you know, the blueprints there. The facts tell you you absolutely should be doing it. There's value to it. Now it's just a matter of uh, getting over the hump and, and pulling the trigger, which leads me back to my, it was a long-winded <laughs> context to this, but you know, your role within BombBomb is the chief evangelist, right? So obviously you bought and you understood the vision and the mission early on. So you know, what is that role and, and what are you doing for them today? And part one of the question, as you think about it, and part two is how did that lead into, you know, starting your own podcast? I'd love to, you know, if we're going back to sure. history, I'd love to see how that, how that evolves. Yeah. So I was a one-person marketing team here at BombBomb for uh, several years before Steve Passanelli, my co-author on the book, longtime friend and our chief marketing officer joined us. And we built the team out from there. But I had done, you know, I had written hundreds of blog posts. I was one of our, if not the primary speaker when we would get speaking engagements. I had hosted dozens and dozens of webinars. And so I was in constant communication with customers, again, in, in this kind of 
innovative space when we're getting like real behavior transformation, um, you know, from relying exclusively on the keyboard to, you know, when do we go to the record button? What, what value are customers getting out of the software? Who's actually doing it? Gosh, this person got to 500 videos in two months. Like, what are they doing? And so I would just stay in touch with all that and just figure out like, what is the value here? Why are people doing it? Who's doing it? When are they doing it? What results are they getting? And just trying to unpack and share those stories as the foundation of our marketing effort in the blog, in webinars, on stages, in social media, in our email marketing, et cetera. And so I had put myself in a position where I felt like this was just our book to write. So I just started writing it. Uh, no one knew that I was doing it except my wife and my son, who were both very, very encouraging, just as they were when I was going to leave a 60-year-old company that still had a pension plan to join the startup wow. that barely had healthcare coverage. And uh, and so, you know, they're they uh, just completely supportive of it. So I started writing this book, like, uh, you know, the better the better part of a Saturday or Sunday in between five and six in the morning on most weekdays and then started sharing it internally because I was trying to figure out how to bring it to market. I don't want to get too far ahead on the book, but as the company got an appetite to support this project and I didn't have to do it all on my own time anymore. And I got to this point where I was spending about 70 to 80% of my time actually writing the book and like doing this outline, like taking the outline that Steve and I had created and it gotten the, the stamp from our editor at Wiley, like, okay, th- let's go ahead on this. I was just writing. I was doing a lot of writing and it was the vast majority of my time. And I knew that a lot of the, the vacuum that I created in moving over into this bigger project meant two things for the work that I was doing. Important things that I was doing would be picked up by other team members and things that weren't sufficiently important would just stop being done. And the, both of those are okay. And so you know, 70% of my effort was absorbed elsewhere or dropped. And so I knew that whenever I was done, I, you know, I turned in the manuscript around Thanksgiving. I think that was uh, 2018 because the book released spring 2019, uh, just under a year ago now. So as I was coming back and as I was kind of winding down and Steve and I were talking about, you know, again, he runs the whole team. I report to Steve and we we're talking about like, okay, what does Q1 2019 look like? Obviously, we need to build a whole launch plan for the book. And so, you know, the, the work in, in writing the book kind of parlayed into how are we going to launch it, which was a lot of, we did an educational training kind of launch. And at the same time, as I was alluding to before, we serve a wide variety of people. And so, you know, we've been going up market or the market has been pulling us up into larger teams and larger opportunities. And so, you know, for us, the podcast was another way to take advantage of this, this space that I created in my own schedule and within the team, right? The team took over anything that needed to be done. So I didn't need to take it back from people. I just had more capacity, you know, after we launched the book. And so um, we just thought a podcast just made a lot of sense. I mean, you know, the benefits of doing it, you build great relationships, you learn a ton, you can teach it. I teach what I'm learning internally. And of course, I'm teaching it externally too, by publishing the episodes, you know, you're expanding your network. Uh, you know, typically most people will kind of co-promote, even lightly, they'll co-promote their experience on the podcast, which, you know, extends your reach into other people's networks and things. And there's just so many benefits. And so as we try to create more awareness, as we have a lot more competition today than we did, say, even three years ago, I mean, so many of the companies that are in our space now started 
typically upmarket, right? They were trying to sell at the top of the organization and jam it down, or they were trying to sell it at the CMO level, not at the VP of sales or the VP of customer success. Whereas that's where we've been operating the whole time. We came bottom up. We came individual practitioners and someone looks around and says, why are you performing so well? It's like, oh, we adopted video uh, or I adopted video. And so then it spreads within the team. And now all of a sudden we turn this one or two seat deal into a 12 seat deal, but it came bottom up. And so you know, as we got a lot more competition in this space and people moving into this to, into this area, we knew that it would be a differentiator for us. It would help us expand our reach, et cetera. And so the launch of the book and the podcast both said, okay, I am no longer a direct, pro- because I've been, now been a little bit out of the mix. You know, I worked, you know, from my dad's house in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I worked from my own home uh, instead of in the office, even though I'm only five minutes from the office, just to create space to write the book. So right. here I am now essentially four or five months pretty removed or six months pretty removed from marketing operations. And I'll button this up here just to speak to the power of networking. Um, I reached out to Sangram Vajray, who you may know, he's a man about LinkedIn. And uh, I reached out to him and I was like, hey man, I had been listening to Flip My Funnel, his podcast. And uh, I was like, hey, I got an idea for you. I'd love to host you on your own show. You know, at this point, he was like 300 episodes in or so. I was like, I want to, you know, flip the script on Flip My Funnel and interview you as a guest on your own show and talk about what it means to be a chief evangelist. And he's like, yeah, I'll do you one better. You find three other chief evangelists and I'll run it as a four-part series on my show. I was like, okay, because he had gone to daily. And so, you know, he was looking for guest contributors and things. And he was just getting going with this kind of like, let's host guest series. And so a couple really fortuitous things happened. A, someone like him was like, yes, that's a great idea, but I'll do you one better and make your idea even bigger, which is awesome. Like you never know when that's gonna happen. And so uh I ended up getting just cold outreach. I got Dave Izbitsky, who is the first employee in voice at Amazon and the chief evangelist of Alexa and Echo. He agreed to interview with me. I knew Dan Steinman from Gainsight, who wrote the book, Customer Success for Gainsight. Okay. And uh, and he was also very helpful in consulting on, on bringing the book to life. He was very, just an awesome dude, very giving of his time and was agreed to do an interview about what it meant to be a chief evangelist at Gainsight. And then... I just cold reached out to Guy Kawasaki, who is arguably the first chief evangelist. So chief evangelist is a relatively new title to a lot of people in a lot of businesses. But if you're Amazon or Microsoft or, you know, some of these larger tech companies, they've had evangelists for years and and most of them have many evangelists. And so um, Guy Kawasaki is arguably the first chief evangelist when he was at Apple and worked for Steve Jobs. And now he is the chief evangelist at, at Canva. The graphics, no okay, yeah. the graphics company. And so I did these interviews. I ended up uh, spending a lot of time and a lot of my own personal time because I just so appreciated that such awesome people gave me their time. And so, you know, I did video clips for it. I wrote up a pretty heavyweight blog post about it. And it was like 10 things I learned about chief evangelism. And, and there are core ideas in there. I don't have time to go through all of them. But, you know, there was this idea of if your company is actually innovating, then you need to be evangelizing. Also, like so many things, including customer experience, you're doing it whether you know it or not. So for us, I guess we were kind of unintentionally evangelizing through Steve, who is a pretty prolific speaker and and was traveling and speaking a lot. I was doing a little bit of that. One of our co-founders was doing a little bit of that. We had another team member who's doing a little bit of that, but we weren't guesting on podcasts. We hadn't you know, published a book. We, you know, we were publishing a lot, you know, through social channels and through our own blog, but 
it was this, you know, if you really want to do it. So we're, we're solving a problem a lot of people don't know they have. Every day you're entrusting some of your most important and valuable messages to a form of communication that doesn't differentiate you, doesn't build trust and rapport, and doesn't, doesn't communicate nearly as well as if you just look someone in the eye and spoke to him or her. We don't think about it. We hit send over and over and over. And so, you know, between, you know, I think I set that scene well enough that you can see where it's going, where Steve was like, all right, let's make you chief evangelist. Let us, let's truly liberate you from kind of the day-to-day, although I'm still involved in a number of like project teams and operational stuff here. You know, I'm not, I've got one foot in, one foot out, unlike most of the guys that I interviewed in that series. But we know that, that we're solving a major problem for people. And in generally, they don't know that they have it. And so, you know, let's free me up to do some uh, additional writing, to do some additional publishing, to host the podcast, to guest on podcasts, to, you know, get the book into more people's hands and these kinds of things. And uh, last thing here is the job description is loose. The KPIs and metrics are not nearly as, if you're a BDR or an account executive or a customer care associate, like your KPIs are pretty clear. You know what winning looks like. You know what the scoreboard looks like. You can have really good, clear coaching with your direct supervisor, you know, and and all these things. This is much more amorphous. That's one of those, those 10 things is that, that I learned from those guys is that like, you got to be a little bit comfortable with ambiguity and to go in this direction and to assign someone to take this on requires a bit of faith. And so fortunately for me, A, I love the work because I truly sincerely believe in what we're doing. And B, there is faith on our side that we know that that having more of these conversations is going to be a benefit, not just to ourselves, but to everyone who listens to it. Yeah, that's so good. And I think, you know, as a lot of my time spent with, you know, founders and some most first time founders as they're starting to grow the company and thinking about scaling the company, you know, I don't really incorporate this, but it's so true in the sense of, you know, typically the founder is the evangelist. They truly believe in the product they're building. They've got to get people on board. But once you hit that tipping point of, you know, there's the day-to-day, there's the investors, there's the customer service team. All of a sudden, it gets a lot more difficult. And in my personal opinion, there's so much more value to this type of a role. And I don't want to say instead of branding, but I think many, many companies are so focused on performance marketing. As you mentioned, KPIs, they forget the value and the power of having your brand out there, even if it's just educational and somebody's not ready to buy, but they need to know who you are. And you know, using this type of a role. I mean, you guys are, are growing rapidly, but you're not a Microsoft and yet you can a- afford to have this. I just think there's so much value. Even if you, I think you, you, through the series, you mentioned of, you know, people that were evangelists. You know, I'm going to go on a, a rant, not today, but, <laughs> but in the value, I mean, I get it. It makes so much sense to have somebody out in front and, and providing that value that, you know, you're creating the, the, the awareness for that product. And it may be your co-founders and that's perfectly fine, right? Or your founder. You know, for us, neither of our co-founders is really geared that way. They're not super big on social. You know, one of our co-founders and our CEO is really runs the product and dev part of the business. Our other co-founder who is president runs essentially the revenue operation. Functionally, he's kind of like a CRO in that okay. he runs you know, sales, marketing, and CS. And um, 
you know, it, but it depends on the personality and, and the orientation of the founder. I just spent some time with a gentleman yesterday who founded his company. And I would say functionally, he is the evangelist and he's got operators to run those things. Of course, he still advises and is involved directly in the business. I mean, it's still his business. He's also right. CEO. But that is a role that he wanted. He went out and spent like six grand on video equipment and produces like a couple different video shows and a podcast and all the stuff. And so, you know, I, I think if you're a founder and you're oriented that way and you've built a good team around you to do the things that you're not good at or that you don't want to do, then you can be the evangelist or you can even assign it across multiple people. For us, it just made sense, you know? Like, I, I think my my years of, of building relationships with customers and telling the customer story and teaching all the stuff that I was learning as a practitioner and as a student learning from our customers, it just made sense for me to be in this role. I have a natural orientation that way. And my previous work, I think, led up to it. So I won't, I won't belabor that because I think I, I did a pretty okay job telling that story here in this conversation already. But it is okay if the founder is the evangelist. It just depends on preference, skill set, circumstance, et cetera. But yeah. it's happening whether you know it or not. You're doing either a good job or a terrible job and you're doing it by design or not. You can farm it out across three or four people. You can assign it to one person. You can take it on yourself. There are a lot of ways to do it. But if you are truly innovating, you need to talk about problem solution. It's not about product and pricing. It's problem solution. And that's the essence of the evangelist role, whether yeah. you give it that title or not. Right. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, maybe, and I'm guessing it's probably a lot more effective than just traditional, you know, brand marketing. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but this is just to your point of why your company was built. It's so much per more personal. And I, my guess is with your competitors, you know, two or three years old, they're going to have a mountain to climb to try to, to catch what you guys are doing because you are connecting with people you know, versus just a tool to help you convert a little bit better, right? This tool still needs to work, but the fact that people still buy from people, and I know we've had this in conversation or exchanges, that the more personal you can make the brand, you know, the better off that, that it's going to be in the long term. So, so thank you very much for taking us down that path. I think it's so helpful and so valuable, especially as people are thinking about growing their companies. Sometimes they think, well, I just need to get six more customers in and there's a much bigger, I know there's a lot of things to prioritize and balance, but as you look at the, the growth of your company, I think this is, is really going to be a, a, you know, kind of a foundational piece of it. So with that being said, I know we're starting to run low on time. I don't want to be respectful to you, but I really do want to get into you know the book. You know, we've it's been a slower and long build up to, to get there because this is kind of the really the how and the why I understood the podcast. Now we absolutely get the book. So maybe we could use you know the next you know five to ten minutes and kind of walk us through. You know, I think we've talked about why video is important, but maybe touch on that, especially for more of an entrepreneur or small company. And then let's get into the, the how of it a little bit. You know, what are some of the best things that people can do to get started? And then we'll, we'll take it from there. Cool. Again, I'll, um, I'll just kind of touch back on, on where I started at the beginning of the conversation. I, I regarded the book as um, A, our book to write, B, a helpful piece. It was interesting. The guy that greenlighted the project at Wiley and the team of like 12 people that he pitched it to um, none of them had ever received a video email. They're like, ah, we feel like this book is early. I was like, coincidentally, 
you know, a couple of our competitors are very well funded. They're, you know, and a couple of them had just done a significant race. So I just sent them these stories like there's money coming into this space. If you don't want this book today, you're going to want it in six months and we are the ones to write it. You know, we've been at it for years. We've got, you know, tens of thousands of customers. We've sent thousands, thousands of videos ourselves. Like I want to do this. And so I regard it as the what, why, who, when, and how of a movement that we call relationships through video. We call it relationships through video, again, to separate it from lights and scripts and editing and YouTube channels and you know Facebook marketing and all of that. This is just lightweight, simple, personal video. So this is the guide to that style of video. What is relationships through video? Why does it matter to you? And more importantly, why does it matter to your customers and future customers and your employees, by the way? Internal communication is a great use. Who's actually doing this? So you get like some mini case studies and some, you know, you get a sense of by, by seeing other people that are, that are like, exactly like, or kind of like you and what they're doing and, and, and what they're getting out of it. How do I actually do this? So we do get into this, some of the technical stuff and it's not a bomb bomb book. I mean, I tell it from a first person perspective and it's informed by Steve's experience as well. So bomb bomb is a, a character in the story, but you know, even if you don't want to use our software to do this and you maybe want to do the heavy lift and kind of DIY or you want to use another solution that's on the market, you're still going to get a ton of value out of this because we talk about how to do it, when to do it, like when in your day-to-day. And what I would just say is as you, as you look at the entire customer life cycle from lead gen and initial lead contact through the commitment to do business with you, whatever that looks like, through onboarding into your product or service, making sure that they got what they paid for, and then that positive growth loop where they come back and buy again, or they send a friend to you, or they expand their purchasing with you, or they buy a different product that they didn't buy the first time around. That positive growth loop, every time your marketing automation is shooting out an email, or every time you're clicking send across that entire life cycle, you have an opportunity to be more personal and more human. Not every one of these videos has to be truly one-to-one. Not every video that I send has to say, hey, Brett, dot, dot, dot. It doesn't have to be that. You can record a video once and use it over and over again for anyone who hits that point in their relationship with you. Obviously, the more personal, the more effective. You can be evergreen and still use this lighter weight style of video. And then the other thing I would say is, as you look at the customer life cycle from initial contact, whatever that looks like for you through the positive growth loop, you have an employee life cycle operating simultaneously. So as you're looking to add team members, get them onboarded, uh, get them to commit, get them onboarded, making sure that you're getting from them what you hired them for, making sure that they're getting out of the experience what they were hoping and expecting for. And then that positive growth where they continue to expand their skill set and maybe get promotions or start hiring people themselves, referring other people into the organization and all that across the entire employee experience. You have opportunities to be more personal and more human. So valuable to reach out to a customer or an employee and say, thank you so much, or good job, or congratulations, or I've been thinking about you, or I'm sorry to hear about your aunt or your uncle or your grandmother. Like all of these touches that are infused with either you want people to feel like they know you before they meet you that personal connection, or, they, or you want to remind them what it's like to work with you because you haven't seen them in a while, right? You just want to reestablish that face-to-face like, oh yeah, Brett, I love that guy, right? Anytime you want to manage emotion or tone, which is completely stripped, when you type out an email and send it, even if you did an all caps line and added an emoticon and some exclamation points, you're still stripping away the real emotional cues in it, which come naturally off of us, uh, which is one of the great 
powers of video is that if you're truly sincere about the value and the opportunity that you represent in that moment to a customer, to an employee, to a supplier, to a vendor, to a partner, to a strategic alliance, if you're truly sincere, there's nothing better you can do than to send a video because you cannot fake A, the time and attention required to give someone that that information or that pat on the back or that kick in the butt or whatever you need to give them. Uh, and B, that you can't fake that sincerity, um, which is also a caution. If you're not actually sincere about what you're doing, don't use video because it will be revealed. We get, our, our brains naturally notice any of those disconnects between the words that are being said, the tone and pace behind the words, as well as all of the nonverbal cues, like the facial cues, the body language cues. You know, when you read about like FBI, uh, you know, investigators or interrogators or whatever, these types of people, they're just more, more consciously aware of the disconnects between essentially word and deed, deed being micro expressions and these other things. So anyway, I would just encourage people to think about all of the touch points that they have with their customers future customers, team members, and future team members, and other people in their business ecosystem and think, would this message be better if I said it in person? And so you can sit at your desk and send five or 10 of these in 15 or 20 minutes. And so as you're looking to stay in touch with people, follow up with people, move through your checklist to like check in on projects and things, or, or just provides, again, some encouragement or, you know, responses to inquiries. There's countless use cases for this. So I'd encourage people to think about, would this message be better if I said it in person? Yeah, that's so good and and so awesome. I didn't even think about the internal employee engagement piece of this. You know, Super powerful. Oh, it's huge. Now that It's the number one people leave is they don't feel like their work matters. They don't feel like they matter and they don't know where they belong. Yeah. And if, at least in the office, you've got face-to-face, so the drive-by, right? You can pop in, you can have a connection. Uh, the more and more remote we've got folks, I know people just take it for granted that, hey, I'll just shoot them a text or an email. Or it, it was funny, I commented on somebody's post yesterday, they asked about what tools you use. And I said, well, I try to use Zoom for the more personal meetings, but I can't do a Zoom meeting every time I'm going to you know, have communication. So what a perfect opportunity to use a video email to, to be able to communicate that. So, and I've, you know, I know you guys are growing, but I've got to believe the, the opportunity for folks to cut through the noise, both internally, externally, you know, not again, just from a SDR business development point, but you know, one of the, the lines I've been using lately is, you know, treat your customers like prospects and your prospects like customers. And, you know, a lot of folks tend to, you know, once you get them onboarded, you know, it's an afterthought. We'll provide service, so we'll do some reach out. But if you were more proactive with that customer base and treat them like prospects, they don't know everything that you do. And, you know, how can it provide value or education is just a, a big opportunity to, to continue that. I forget that the, I'll have to go back and listen to what you call the, the life cycle or the value cycle of the, of the customer just makes so much sense. Um, yeah, I, and I love that. Uh, by the way, if you see a LinkedIn post and you're tagged in it, it's because I'm going to use your line and credit you <laughs> with it of prospects as customers because it makes so much sense. And you're right. Again, video allows you to do it. The, the deepest human need that we have, period, is the need to be seen and heard and understood and ideally be appreciated. To have someone recognize us as a unique individual and to validate us. And I don't care what your personality type is, you need that. So many of the decisions that we make consciously and subconsciously are around this idea of please see me for who I am. So when you could take 18 seconds out of your morning to say, 
Hey, Bob, it's Brad. I just want to thank you so much. You sent Chris my way. I had a great conversation with him last week. I just wanted to thank you so much when that conversation came up between you guys that you shared my name and contact information. You are awesome. I owe you lunch. Have an awesome day, right? Even if you type that up, that's cool. You texted him, that's cool. But just this idea of looking him in the eye through your webcam lens and communicating that is a different experience. I would also add, not to extend this too long, but I would also add that this is, I have not quantified this, but I've heard it anecdotally from many of our customers. This doesn't just make your recipient feel closer to you and and appreciate you and feel appreciated by you. This also makes you feel closer to the people you're reaching out to, which is super interesting because you're recording the video and sending yourself to the other person. But there's something in the act of you bringing these words to life, not just thinking them and typing them out, but bringing them to life to put your real self behind that message, the, the act of performing this. And I don't mean perform as in your acting. Right. I mean, perform as in just like, like truly bring it to life with your breath and your body and your, you know, your whole self, not just your conscious mind typing it out is a benefit to you as well. It is a more effective and more satisfying way to connect and communicate with people. Yeah, 100% agree. And like I said, I'm just on the, the early part of it. And I do, you know, we didn't go too deep, but I think you understand really the power in the process. And so I'll, I'll plug the, the book here that this really is the blueprint and understand, you know, how we talked about the why. But if you have a question, there's really a blueprint in here and how to get not only get started, but you actually have a whole chapter on how to improve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? yeah so two of them three, actually. Yeah, two of two. them toward the end. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I highly, I also highly encourage people to check out your podcast. You know, I'm not just saying this, you, I had you on the podcast cause I, I enjoy it, but you're, you know, you're the, my top five, the go-to of, of what we listen to. So before we close it out with my final question, what's, what's next for you and, and the folks at BombBomb? What's, what's in the, the near term horizon that you guys are working on? Um, we are looking at further, uh, unbundling the video opportunity and making it available to you almost anywhere that you are through your internet browser and almost anywhere that you are through uh, through your smartphone. And so, you know, we have mobile apps, we have our web app, we have integrations with a number of uh, platforms. We want to unbundle it further because again, we want to get you face-to-face more often and just be available with a video recorder and your video library anywhere that you are on the internet so that you really have more opportunities. So, at a high level, that's where we're going. What I'm personally doing is, you know, video adoption is still one of the biggest hurdles that I see. A lot of the products that, that a lot of our competitors are offering free products. And I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning up a lot of those messes where, you know, you're talking with someone who's excited to get going and you find out that they had a free product before, but it, you know, it didn't come with any training. It didn't come with any guidance. Obviously, you can't afford to provide support, you know, whereas we will, you know, devise a personal plan for you and maybe put someone on an airplane to show up in your office for the kickoff, you know, with your team. And so I'm putting together a, a, a video adoption guide. It's a pretty massive, honestly, it could be a second book. So, but I'm just getting going with that. <laughs> is there a second book in the offer in the, uh, no, in the future? I mean, not, I, this outline honestly could be, it's not, we're not hardcore about that yet. I mean, I just need to start making the pieces and you know, the way I was able to write rehumanize your business in three or four months essentially was that it was the collected best practices, stories, latest learnings of, you know, eight years, seven years of experience at the time. And so the second one will take a lot longer to write. Yeah, but you at least now have experience under your belt. So yeah, totally. I don't know, that could yeah. be good or bad. You didn't know what you didn't lot. know last no, time. I learned a lot. There are a lot of things I do differently. 
No, that's awesome. All right. So I always like to close uh, the podcast with, with one question. And that is, what is one thing you, Ethan, would highly recommend? Um, I would, you know, my first thought was to go to the video thing, but I already said that is like, next time you click send, think, would this be better if I said in person? So what I'll go with is something a little bit more personal. It's a little bit ranty, but I think too many of us confuse our wants as needs. I think the language around that matters. If you are investing in yourself, you, by listening to a show like this one, all of your needs are truly met. When you think about the way the rest of the world is living, you are probably... (laughs) you're probably in the top 5%, if not the top 1% of the world, not in the United States, because, you know, we talk about the 1% and that is truly exclusive. But, you know, in the global population, we have so much more than we actually need. It's a privilege. It's normalized behavior here. But I don't think we should take it for granted. And I don't think we should confuse what we want as something that we need. I love it. And it's so true. When you take a step back and look at that globally, what people don't have, you know, we do forget and we... I often, I'll joke, you know, first world problems and, you know, it, it truly is. So, no, I love that. And I appreciate that. And you're right on the, on the video. So, Ethan, again, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'll have, you know, what, well, what's, I guess I'll ask you, I'll put it in the show notes. What's the best way for, for folks to reach out to you if they want to learn more about you or just get in contact? Well, uh, a few things. First, you can email me directly. It's Ethan, E-T-H-A-N, at bombbomb.com. I welcome direct communication. Of course, you can hit me up on LinkedIn and you should connect with Brett too. If you're listening to the show and you haven't connected with him, reach out to him. Add notes to those LinkedIn requests, by the way. It just makes it so much easier to say yes. Uh, Of course, we're at bombbomb.com. It's the word bomb twice, B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B.com. You can learn more about the podcast at bombbomb.com slash podcast and more about the book at bombbomb.com slash book or you can search Rehumanize Your Business at Amazon. All good stuff. And before I go, I do have to ask you, where did the name BombBomb come from? Good what one. The, yeah, so, so they, had, they, had the, they had the vision for the company. They, they were starting to work on it and they didn't have a name for it. And it was just popular slang at the time. Someone told Connor that you're the bomb.com. And so of course, bomb.com was taken. Bombbomb.com occurred to him next and it wasn't. And so, you know, it was a little bit, it was a little bit flippant. It was, you know, you're the bomb, she's the bomb, this taco's the bomb, that pizza's the bomb, sure. whatever. Um, but when you think about it, again, it's still tied, like you are your best differentiator. You are your own best sales asset. Even if you're not in a sales role, you are selling per Dan Pink's to sell as human. So you are the bomb. Put yourself in front of more people more often. And I guarantee you're going to create and win more opportunities as a consequence. Yeah, that's awesome. And I had to, it would have bugged me if I didn't ask you. So. Good. I'm glad you did. Good button on the conversation. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ethan, thank you very much for the time. Like I said, really appreciate it. Uh, have yourself a great day. And if you do write that book, we'll have to get you on here for, for part two. Sounds good. I appreciate you so much, Brett. Thanks again for the invite and the conversation. All right. Have a great day. Thanks, Ethan. You too. Bye. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com.